0: Information station, all the kids can head on back. And I'd like to invite the rest of you to open your copy of God's life giving word to the book of John, the Gospel of John. We'll start in chapter 6 today. Uh, so, John chapter 6 will be in verse 22. And also, do me a favor, and I'm going to ask my ushers to help us out. Um, if you did not receive this uh, 2020 uh, vision, Uh, guide along with uh, this other little sheet with the worship guide. Just hold up your hand real quick if you just kind of be bold enough to do that. Maybe everyone got them. If not, just raise your hand because I want to make sure everyone has this to really help out uh, as we work our way through uh, John 6 today. So just raise your hand really high. Looks like we covered almost everyone, which is phenomenal. Great job, ushers. Uh, Way to go. Um, but, yeah, really, really excited uh, to have shared our, our 2020 vision uh, with, with you last week. And as John said earlier, if, if you were not able to come because of the snow or whatever reason, uh, try to check that online. Or right, I'm going to hit some highlights today, uh, but it would probably be even more beneficial for you. In fact, it definitely would be more beneficial uh, for you if you would just jump online and uh, catch. Uh, the sermon from last week. Um, So we're going to revisit some of that today, and I'm excited to to share bits and pieces of it uh, with you as we journey through John chapter 6. Well, uh, just this uh, past couple of weeks, actually two weeks ago to the day, uh, my wife and I, along with some other friends and family, we started this diet uh, for 30 days. It's called Whole 30. All right. And, um, it's, it's really, it's a piece of cake. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's just one of those things where you can basically eat whatever you want to eat with a few exceptions. All right. So, so so for for example, um, they don't allow you to eat any grains. I mean, that's like bread, oats, even down to like quinoa, you know, like the really healthy stuff. Like none of that. No, no big deal though. Um, what about no, no dairy? All right, we're talking about no cheese. Some of y'all are just like, man, I'm out. Um, no cheese, no butter. That's no problem when you're on Whole30, all right? So just, just chill, all right? We can do this, all right? Um, then it's no legumes. I mean, I didn't even know what a legume was until I started this diet, right? That's like any kind of bean and, and a few other things, including peanuts, man. So that's no peanut butter. Hmm. You can eat some kinds of nuts, like cashews and almonds, but, but no peanuts. Um, and then, then there are a couple of more. Um, no alcohol uh, for 30 days. And then this, one, this one's the, the best. No sugar. No sugar. So, so, so you, you're probably asking the question, like, man, you know, sign me up. Like, where can I sign up for this, for this diet? Why on earth would people, you know, inflict such kind of self torture, you know, on themselves. Why would, why would people do this, all right? Well, well, just a few reasons, all right? Number one, as, as they say, um, it's supposed to help you physically by kind of resetting your metabolism, all right, and, and kind of pushing out inflammation that kind of builds up because of certain kinds of foods that uh, we eat, and so, so that's, that's one motivation. Uh, we did this three years ago, by the way, and one thing that I really loved was that it gave me a, a new kind of energy, You know, and it just makes sense when you're only eating fruits, vegetables, certain kinds of nuts, and thank you very much, meat. Meat is allowed; otherwise, I probably would not survive. Um, Then, um, then, then you know, you're going to have more energy. But then I also love just the fact that when you're evaluating everything you put into your body, it changes the way that you think about food and how you you continue to eat, not just for those 30 days, but even beyond. So I can tell you, I've eaten differently the last three years just because of whole 33 years ago than, than I did before that. And then also, you know what? Sometimes you just discover certain kinds of food Tastes better when you don't add all of these other kind of products in. So for example, I was hanging out with a friend. Uh, we went to a restaurant this week, and, um, and so I got a bison burger, no bun, no cheese, wrapped it in lettuce, put guacamole, jalapenos, and a fried egg on there. Now, you might think that's gross. I'm telling you, it was the bomb, all right? So, uh, if you want to try that, Word to the Wise, really, really good. But you can taste different kind of flavors when you don't add all of that kind of business on there, all right? So, so again, anybody want to sign up for Whole30? Kind of raise your hand. Are you cowards? Um, all right, uh, anybody want to sign up to pray for a, for a pastor? can I get some prayer? All right. Cause I ain't gonna lie, man, I'm hungry. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm hungry like right now. Um, so I could use the prayers. 15 more days. I think I can make it. Thanks to my lovely wife. She's been cooking it up just right. No additives, no processed foods. Thank you very much, Marcia. All right. So, so let me just, let me just ask you, what does your diet look like? Now, don't just start, you know, crawling under your, you know, seat or whatever. Um, but what, what does your diet look like? And in a kind of a physical sense, that's important, right? We all agree. What, what we put into our body is, is very, very important for how we, you know, can function throughout our days. But, but let me ask you another question. What, what about your spiritual diet? What does what your spiritual diet look like day by day, week by week? What are you putting in to your heart? Soul, on a regular basis. What we find when we come to, to John chapter 6 is that I, I love this about Jesus and Christianity. Oftentimes people view Christianity as like, man, list of, of do's and don'ts, more don'ts than do's. So it's just like a bunch of restrictions like the whole 30, you know? Can't eat this and can't eat that and can't do that and can't go to this place. When in reality, Christianity is less about what we can't have or shouldn't do, and more about what we can't have and should do. Follow me? So, when Jesus says, Come and follow me, come and see what I'm all about in the life that you are intended to live all in the beginning, what he's doing is really he's inviting us to a feast. It's a feast to know Christ. And that's exactly what he's going to tell us in John chapter 6, verses 22 through 71. I'm going to read kind of quick today all right? when I read these verses, but, um, but follow along. Just going to start off with the first three, all right? It says this, coming out of uh, the, the, the first half of chapter 6, it says this, On the next day, there, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had only been one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. All right, so just to kind of uh, catch us up to speed, all right? If you weren't here a couple weeks ago, you already forgot. All right, the first part of John chapter 6 finds Jesus teaching the crowds, which he, he was an excellent teacher. He taught with authority. He taught with wisdom. And so many, many people, hundreds of people, in fact, the thousands of people, all right? I don't have Jesus' problem yet, all right? Um, thousands of people would come to hear him teach. And they would hear him teach. They were so enthralled in what he had to say, that that oftentimes they would kind of just not even be able to go and and grab their food, or or maybe they've traveled so far that they wouldn't have provision for their meal. And and so there were 5,000 hungry people, and out of the whole crowd, there were only five, you know, pieces of bread and, and two pieces of fish. But in that moment, Jesus says, you know what, I'll take that and I can kind of make something happen that you've never seen. I can, I can multiply that and, and give enough for about 20,000 people to have a meal here on the ground so that they can make it back home. So Jesus feeds, it's called the 5,000. There were more than that. That was just the men that were, you know, in the crowd that day. And then after that, as if that wasn't enough, then his disciples go to the other side, where he kind of just retreats from the crowd to go and spend time with uh, God the Father. And, and, and so the, the storm rises on the sea, and Jesus walks on the water to catch up with them and helps them make it to the other side. And so it's no surprise then that these, the crowds would, would be curious, hey, Jesus just did this unbelievable, supernatural miracle right before our eyes. We want to we see him again. We want to talk to him more. We want to hear more of what he's all about. So they're looking for him. They can't find him. So they know that the disciples went to the other side of, of the lake. They also should go to the other side to catch up with Jesus. That's what happens in and, and just verse 25. It's almost kind of uh, comical. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? I mean, we saw your disciples get into the boat. We knew that you kind of, you know, went up into the, to the, you know, wooded area a bit, perhaps. And so, like, how did, how did you get over here? And so Jesus, rather than directly answering the question, Jesus was a smooth operator, you know what I'm saying? I mean, he just knew how to kind of, you know, shift the conversation to make his points. Look, look, at, look at what he says in verse 26. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, In him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us always this bread. So, so there, are, there are two invitations from John chapter 6 that we, we see Jesus extending to the people that he spoke to on that day in the synagogue in Capernaum. His disciples, along with some of the crowd who had sought him on the other side of the sea. So there is an invitation that he extends to them, and there is an invitation that he extends to us, and it is the same invitation. It is such a simple invitation, and it's up to us whether or not we want to receive his invitation and experience what he desires to give us. So the first invitation is simply this come and feast. Come and feast. The people had eaten their fill of the bread. And so they want to see what's Jesus going to do next? What else is he going to say? So they come over and and Jesus starts to expose their twisted motives in seeking him. So first off, we could say strike one is is seeking after Jesus for selfish gain. He says, you're coming over here because you you had, you know, a nice meal. And so what we need to realize very quickly is that we all are tempted. I too am tempted, even, even to this day, even though I'm in Christ, I'm tempted to come to God because of what can, God can give me rather than just coming to God because God is God and he is amazing. I mean, what relationship, like what, what a father uh, wants their son or daughter just to come to them and say, hey, you know, give me what you have to give me. But, but I don't really care about you. There's, there's no relationship there, right? And, and sometimes it's how we treat God, like he's some kind of cosmic ATM. We can just kind of push in our code, get what we need, but we don't really care about him. And so Jesus says the first twisted motive is just to come to God for what we can get selfishly, not for who he is. The second twisted motive, strike two, is working for God's approval, So Jesus actually says, wait, work for for the bread that doesn't perish. Work for the bread that will actually give you eternal life, not that it'll just fill you up for a few hours and you have to eat again. And so they misinterpret what Jesus is saying, and they say, well, what are the works? Like, we're ready to do work so that we can, by our achievements, be awarded eternal life. And so Jesus says, look, you've got it all wrong. This is not how it works at all. No one can earn their way to me because... Uh, God is holy, he's perfect, and, and even the slightest sin separates us from God so we can never earn our way to God. It's what God has done to come to us. And so he says the, the, only, the only work, he uses a play on words, is it, by which he means requirement. The only requirement is that we believe in him who God the Father sent, namely Jesus. So we're looking to Jesus and we're believing in him. And what that means is not just like, yeah, oh, yeah, Jesus came, lived, and he died on a cross and even rose from the dead. But it is, man, I'm I'm making my whole life on him. I'm trusting in what he did for me. So the second twisted motive is is working for God's approval. And then the third is is simply this, and we're all guilty of this at times. I'll believe if. Fill in the blank, right? I'll, I'll believe if you show me a sign. I'll believe if you write it in the sky. The Jews were seeking signs constantly. Hey, show us. And like, was the, feeding 5,000? Like, was that not enough for you? This could be the Messiah, right? Like right here, he just fed 5,000 people out of five pieces of bread and two fish. Like, show us another sign. And Jesus says, I am the sign. Which is where we, we go uh, in verses 35 and following. Read these with me down to, through 49. Jesus says to them, after they said, sir, give us this bread always, what does he say? He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe All that the father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. That's good news. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews, they hear this and they start to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They start to reason it out. They said, uh, verse 42, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? And Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And so we have to ask ourselves, look, are we, are we coming to God are we seeking to, to, to press the metaphor? Are we seeking to sit down at the table of God out of selfish motive or thinking we can kind of please our way to God? Or like, God, I'm really in with you. If you'll just kind of do this for me. You know, if you'll like rearrange my work situation and kind of make my friendships a little bit better than they are currently. Um, or, or are we just coming to, to Jesus because of this? You ready for this? Um, he is all we will ever need and he is all we should ever want. When Jesus says, I am the bread of life, to, to just sum that up, he is all we will ever need and he is all that we should ever want. These six words, I am the bread of life, uh, this is the first of the seven I am statements in the gospel of John. They're all revealing something of the character of Christ, who he is as the divine son of God and how we can then actually truly benefit him, because we, from him we, we do definitely benefit when we come to Christ. There's all kinds of gain for us, even though we're not coming to him for our own selfish gain. And so what are what are some of those benefits well if jesus is the bread of life uh, then this metaphor that he's saying is, is is i think we can just we can just say well, like, look at this this bread that we eat you know most of us not when you're on whole 30 but um, you know most of us eat bread you know on a, on a daily basis like what does that do for us what does food what does food do for us and he's saying like like bread in your daily life so so i am to your soul so number one, Jesus satisfies our hunger. He satisfies, like, anyone planning to eat sometime today? Probably everyone, right? Like, if not today, maybe you're fasting. Like Tomorrow, you're probably going to eat. If you don't eat tomorrow, you're going to need to eat, you know, sometime later this week. Um, so, so we all eat because bread is essential. Uh, we need it to live by. So, so Jesus is saying, look, just like you need physical bread, you need me for, for your life. And here's the issue for us, all right? Um, We seek to satisfy our hunger in a thousand other ways than simply Jesus. So, so you can just look at any, any pursuit in life, any created thing, and, and we are going to be tempted to find our satisfaction in that, in that created good, all right? So, so just like we don't have a ton of time to kind of chase this out. You can go read Ecclesiastes if you want a closer look, all right, like riches and, 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 and like, um, sex and, you know, pleasure and possessions, all right? All of these things that, that can and should be good things in our life, we just try to find our ultimate satisfaction satisfaction in those. And then all of a sudden, we're, we find out that we can't truly be satisfied, right? I mean, what, what amount of money is going to really satisfy us? We're always wanting more. What, what amount of sex is ever going to satisfy us? We're always wanting more. What, what even amount of companionship is going to satisfy us? Like, you know, like uh, even in our closest friendships, we don't just like kind of hit the hit our, hit our limit, right? Like hey, I'm, I've got my friendship quota for the rest of my life. Now I can just kind of be in isolation. No. God made us to, to be, he, he made us to enjoy all of these created goods, but he, he made us to enjoy them under him as the ultimate satisfaction because only he will ultimately satisfy us. So C.S. Lewis puts it like this in Mere Christianity, a really excellent book if you've never read it, especially if you're maybe exploring the Christian faith. He would say this, if I find within myself a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is I was made for another world. We were made for him. Everything else is going to come up short if we're, if we're seeking our ultimate meaning and purpose and satisfaction in life in those other created things. Jesus alone satisfies our hunger. He also energizes our lives. I think this really speaks to us as those who live in, you know, 21st century America. We, we all probably tend toward, uh, if, if it's one way or the other, uh, being a workaholic, you know, this is the values of our culture, work really hard 50 hours a week, that's only getting started, right? So, so we need to really, um, you know, achieve, and, and, and then what happens is we just kind of get weary and tired and burn out, right? That's how it is physically in our life, and, and that's how it can be spiritually too, I'm trying to live for God. I'm trying to pursue God. I'm trying to make this kind of work. And, and then we're so tired that we just start to fizzle out spiritually just like we do physically. And so Jesus says, look, if you come to me uh, as, as the bread of your life, you're going to have energy that you never had before. That's what food does, right? We, we eat breakfast a good, you know, three squares a day or whatever because we, we need energy for life. And so I love the episode. Did you remember John chapter four when Jesus was speaking with the woman at the well and, you know, man, I'm thirsty. And he's like, I'll give you water that you know nothing about. It's living water. You'll never thirst again. And she's like, what are you talking about? I don't even know you, you know, kind of conversation going on. And, and, and so Jesus is just talking to her about how he can satisfy her thirst on the inside. And his disciples went to into the town to, to get food. And they, they come back and, like, Jesus and me, like, we have this food for you. Here you go. Uh, why don't you eat? You're hungry. You need to eat. And what does Jesus say? I love this. I have food you don't know about. I have food you ain't know nothing about. And they're like, what is he talking about again? I mean, like if, if you're one of the disciples, like we understand it because we're on this side of the cross and we can like read back. Like, what is he talking about? He's got to eat. And Jesus said to, him, to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Th- there, is, there is a food that feeds our souls that doesn't even compare to the physical food that we eat. It keeps us going. It energizes us. Listen, when you feast on Christ, when you come to him again and again and again, day after day after day, he will keep you going. He will fuel your life. When you are weary, he will re-energize you to run the race that he has put before you. So Jesus satisfies our hunger. He energizes our lives. And then finally, uh, he delights our souls. All right, let me just put this in very uh, blunt terms. Um, how many of us uh, like go to Regina's? I love that pizza, man. I'm missing that. That's going to be my celebration meal, all right? Um, go to Regina's. Go to, go to legal, you know. I'm mean, maybe a little Istanbulu and Teal Square, maybe a little Greek Corner on Mass Ave in Cambridge. Um, you know, you take Tanoke t- t- right here, Mystic Coffee, best coffee in Boston, you know, in my humble opinion. Like, do we go to these restaurants that we love? You can fill in, but hey, let me know after the service. Like, shoot me a text. What's your favorite restaurant? I'm a foodie. I love food. Um, I love Jesus more than food, but I love food. Uh, so, do we, do we go to these restaurants and then come back to our friends, but hey, That food, it gave me my nutrients for the day. You need to go there to you know get your caloric intake on point. Have you you ever said that? Uh, No, man. You go there because you love it. You go there because it, it makes your taste buds proud of you that you went to that spot. Your taste buds are blowing up, man. They're having parties and celebrations because it delights you. Oh, Jesus, you're like that. (laughs) When we understand this, bread of life, this is no longer a chore. Like coming together with other family on Sundays, is not a chore. Picking up that word, and and it says life, we'll see that down in verse 63. It's it's, it's not a chore. It's not a chore for me to wake up and pray and spend time with God, the, the, the greatest friend that I have in this world. It's not a chore for me to serve others and give my time away for the sake of someone else. It's no longer a chore. It is actually a delight. This is how revolutionary it is to discover that Jesus is the bread of life. He satisfies us. He energizes us. He delights us. But here's the, here's the million-dollar question. If, if Jesus is all these things, then how can, I, how can I have him? How can I experience that which satisfies and that which delights? That sounds pretty good. I'd like to get in on that. How can I have him? And so Jesus is going to explain very uh, clearly to us, uh, starting then uh, down in verse 51. He says this I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves. Here they go again. They can't figure Jesus out, uh, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live forever because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things while teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. So so what is this bizarre talk from Jesus about eating my flesh and drinking my blood? It, it boggles the mind of, of those who heard, and perhaps even us today, like, how can someone physically eat his flesh and drink his blood? Is this what Jesus is talking about? No. He's, he's speaking in metaphorical terms, all right? Just like Jesus will say, I am the light of the world in John 8, chapter, uh, chapter 8, verse 12, or just like you'll say, I am the good sh- shepherd. I am the door, the gateway into the, the sheepfold. Jesus doesn't mean he's a literal light. Jesus doesn't mean he's a literal door. All right? What he's saying is, I am giving myself for you on the cross where his flesh will literally be torn and given on our behalf and where his blood will literally be spilled his life in death for our life that we might come to him and have everything we've ever wanted and everything that we could ever need. The cross of Christ is about us seeing that he is the provision that we could never make for ourselves But then when we come to him, in his sacrifice, we receive everything that we need in this life. Everything. So for Jesus, I love this imagery, right? For Jesus to say, eat me, drink me. What is he saying? He's saying there has to be a complete identification with him in his cross. It's not just Jesus is a good man I'm going I'm to be like him. I'm going to try to follow an example that he set. No, it's, it's Jesus died in my place so that I don't have to eat trash and crumbs that never satisfy me in the first place, but I can come to him and have everything that I could ever want and need. That's what the cross is all about. And so let me just ask you: Have you, have you... Taken in the cross of Christ. Have you accepted his sacrifice on your behalf? Have you, as he's saying again and again and again and again, have you believed in him? Not just said, yeah, he did that, but saying he did that for me personally. And I need him because I can never be good enough. I can never have life in the end with God forever. And oh, by the way, eternal life starts now, so I can never have abundant life, like flourishing life apart from Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. And so what Jesus is doing, okay, listen to this. He is inviting us into the most uh, closest intimate relationship that we will ever know. Closer than your best friend. Closer than your spouse. A new, vibrant relationship with the one who made you for himself in the very beginning. This is what Jesus does in his cross. So the invitation is to come and feast on him. The paradox of Christianity is that Jesus brings life through death so that we also will be raised up on the last day. He says it four times throughout this discourse. Resurrection is not a dream. It's not a hoax. It's not just like some propaganda, like, oh, that would be nice. Like, resurrection is the reality for us who believe in Christ to be with him forever. So in all of this coming and feasting, just, just one other thing on this, all right? We, we can only come to him by his grace. This is why Jesus would say in multiple times, look, no one comes to, to me unless the Father draws him in. No one uh, will, will believe in me unless they hear the words of life that I speak. Now we have in Scripture. And then the Spirit gives life. Look down at verse 63 of, of John uh, 6. It is the Spirit who gives life The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and, li- and life. So the only way that I'm coming to Jesus in the first place is because Jesus got the word to me. So that I could hear it and then the spirit could awaken me to say, I need him. I'm hungry. I need, I need the true bread. And, and God the Father has to open our eyes and draw us and pull us in so that then we will come to the cross and say, I'm in, I'm following Christ. And maybe for some of you, that's where you are today. You've been kind of wrestling with Jesus is He God. Jesus, did he really die on the cross? Jesus, was he really raised from the dead? Does he really want me to follow him? And so perhaps... Even now, God is drawing some of you, and you would just say, you know what? I've been, I've been thinking about it long enough. I'm in. And if that's you, we want you to, to let us know that so we can have, like, this massive celebration. That's what we're about at Redemption. We just want to celebrate when God does amazing things in the lives of other people. So if that's you, let us know that today. Now, as we behold, as we behold Christ, as we, as we come and feast on him, this is the secret to living our lives for God, and this is the secret for every church to thrive. And so what I want to do is just kind of rewind, and I'll try to do this quickly, but I want to rewind and hit a few points from last week's 2020 vision sermon. All right, so what we did last week is we said, you know what? Um, What we want to see is an upside-down city. Acts chapter 17, this was the accusation of Paul and his companions. These men who have turned the world upside down, they've come here also. In other words, that's just a fancy way of saying when Jesus shows up, things start to change. And so this is what we want to see in our city. We want to see because of the presence of Christ in his people, is becoming so pervasive that people would say, in Boston, when there are about 6 million people in 2050, they would say, you know what? Our city doesn't look like it did in 2016. And so here's just a little dream. Check out this awesome timeline that I made, all right? This graphic designer, Pastor Ter- Um, so, so 2050, all right? If we were to see 10% of the population attend a church like Redemption Hill, okay? We're not saying the church. We're not saying that we're the best church. We're just saying we're a church that tries to like Just like it is gospel cross, like we're just trying to give people life in Christ, a gospel-centered church, if 10% of the population attended a gospel-centered church like ours, that would mean that 600,000 people are in a church on any given Sunday. You say, look, that doesn't sound like much, 10%, that's like, what a weak goal. All right, well, it's only 3% these days, 3%. So that's more than triple the amount today, and that means that we have a lot of work to do. That means that by the year 2050, we need to see about 4,000 churches that would average, probably the New England average roughly 150 people. That may be even generous, all right? We need to see 4,000 churches dotting the landscape of greater Boston. But but here's what we said. We said if we're going to see that happen in 2050, then we need to break that vision down, which is why we gave... Uh, Us a 2020 vision last week to say we want to see God grow us as a church to become so thriving that we can more rapidly multiply ourselves and start other churches around Greater Boston. Can we start 4,000 churches? I mean, I want to have audacious faith, but I'm just going to like I'm just going to kind of bail out on that one. All right, all right. I'd probably kill myself just trying to you know start 100. Marsha would probably appreciate it if we had some help in this thing, right? So, so to to see us be positioned there in 2020 to be a player, not the player, but a key player in this journey toward an upside down city, then what we need to see is 2050 and 2020 starts when? Today. Look at this calendar right here. Every single day, January 31st. It's my dad's birthday. I'll call him later. All right. January 31st and February 1st and February 2nd. That's how it's going to happen. So we can say that we can alter decades by how we grind today, how we live today. We can alter. Have you ever thought about that? We can change the course of a city by how we live today and tomorrow. That is what we are after. Now, now, how will we get there? Let's just talk about how we'll get there before we even talk like some, some kind of goals and, 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 and focus points, all right? We said that we want to build and celebrate, and this gets me really excited, right? And this is all about John chapter 6, all right? First, we want to behold, all right? So behold the glory of Jesus. That's just coming and feasting on him. He's enough. He's better. He delights us. He moves us then uh, to, to, to go and live how we Ought and should want to, to live. So, beholding the glory of Jesus as, or right, don't miss this, as a unified family. So, so, this 2020 vision and these 2016 kind of goals, all right, they're not going to happen if about 5, 10, or 15 of us are on board. But if you start rallying, you know, a couple of hundred people to say, I'm owning that, and day by day we're then intentionally. Loving all people as we depend on the grace of God with audacious faith. I'm I'm just telling you, it can happen. And not only can it happen, I will be surprised if it doesn't happen. If we're coming and feasting on Christ and beholding Him, I will be surprised if we don't exceed every single one of these goals by the end of this year and 2020. I mean, I'm just going to say this I, I pray 2020 is like 2018 and we have to just reset. Upside-down city, it's in motion. Let's change our goals. Now let's look at 2025 because 2020 is already taken care of. You'd like that. I see them smiles, all right? Them ain't the proper grammar, but I like to throw that in when I get excited. Um, so, 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 so we're going to build and then we're going to celebrate. We, I'm convicted about this, all right? This isn't like personal confession time, all right, or leadership, you know, improvements and whatnot, um, but I need to become a better celebrator. Is that a word? Who cares, all right? I need to become a better celebrator, a person that that celebrates when when we take steps and when we see God do his work, all right? We need to to raise a glass, say, here, here, ching, you know what I'm saying? Like, celebrate when God is on the move and at work in our lives. So what do we want to do? What do we want to see God build? Here's one. Uh, Build our weekly worship attendance to 2.30, Some of you may not realize this because it always feels like we're kind of growing and adding new people, but but Boston's very transient, right? And so we often are losing people just about as quickly as we're adding people. We we actually haven't grown as a church in about the past 18 months. Is that that alarming? No, it's not alarming. Is that how we want things to, to stay? No. Because we want to become a rapidly multiplying church, and that's a lot easier when you have 450 people in the mix rather than a couple hundred. So we are saying, look, that ribbon back there, all right, here's a motivator for some of you you crazy people, all right? Um, we want to push that ribbon back. You know what I'm saying? We want to push it back. And so maybe an incentive for you is like, I'm going to bring my friends so I can sit further back because no one likes to sit in the front row, see? Now that's just a funny kind of motivation. W- what about this? Um, 60,000 people in this city. 60,000. Couple, a couple few, handful of churches like Redemption Hill that are talking about Jesus in these terms. 318,000 people in Medford and the border cities, Somerville, Everett, Arlington, planting a church there this year. We will be compelled to bring people in when we behold Christ and we see that he is better and we are loving him and that that love just naturally pours out of us into love for other people. So so if you would just take take your vision sheet, all right, and you'll see some of these goals, all right, Uh, build our weekly worship attendance to to 450 in in 2020, but but then that's going to start by building our weekly worship attendance to 230 this year, and then you're just going to see some suggestions. You don't have to take one of these suggestions. You don't have to take one. But maybe you would just say, yeah, these are decent ideas, and I'm going to go after one of them. Um, as pastors, we kind of collaborate to brainstorm on some possibilities. And so what I've done myself, I'm, I'm, I'm in the game, right? Um, so you know what? I want to bring 12 friends with me to worship in 2016. That's like just one friend a month. I want to actually not just invite. I'm, I'm good at inviting people, but, but, but I don't always see those invitations uh, turn into people actually coming. So that, that's my goal, but what, what would be your goal? Maybe you would just take a pen and say, you know what? That one looks pretty good. Maybe I'm interested in that. And then, and then in a bit, what, what I hope you'll do then is write down maybe one, it can be one goal. It can be one, two, or three goals, but just say this is what I'm after. By God's grace, as I receive encouragement from other people, I may not see the goals met, but, but I'm going to do everything that I can to build and celebrate toward this personal goal because it's going to feed into this larger family goal. That we have as a church, so we want to see uh, God build our worship attendance um, to two thirty by the end of the year. Uh, What else? We we want to see uh, fifteen groups launch with one hundred and fifty people connected. You say, "Well, Tanner, why do you have groups at Redemption? We have groups because we want to see people go deeper in their relationship with God and in their relationship with one another, and both of those things happen in our groups." So maybe an action step, you can see there are several. Maybe some of you say, well, I'll just, I've never been to a group. I'll just visit a group three times. If you don't like it, here's, here's the deal. You never have to go back. Just don't even worry about it. But we're so convinced that groups are so valuable that if you go three times, you're going to say, well, no, my week was different. My day was different. My life is different. I'm going to keep coming back. Maybe some of you would say, you know what? I'm going to grab a, a meal with some of my friends. Uh, I tried to do that at least once, once a month, those in my group. Others might say, you know what, I need, I need to be mentored, I need to be encouraged, I want to pursue a discipling relationship with someone in my group, we can help you with that. And then, and then a third breakdown goal is this, not only do we see it, 150 people connected with a group, we want to see 150 people serving with a team here on Sundays. You say, well, well, how is this related to coming and feasting? Well, this is just what we've discovered, um, Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So, so when are we ever more like Jesus than when we're serving others? when we're putting other people's needs before our own and, and in our own, uh, you know, preferences. And we're saying, I can give up an, an hour of my time. I can give up a couple of hours of my time, once a month, just once a month to, to serve with kids, redemption kids, to serve with first impressions and, 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 and help welcome people and get all the setup done. So maybe, maybe that's you. Maybe uh, you want to join a team this, this year and faithfully serve once a month when you're scheduled. All of this is flowing from us feasting, On Christ. We we need to see that that ministry, serving others, flows from our intimacy with him, coming and feasting. But as we come and feast, the natural consequence of that is what we see at the end of this story. It's not only coming and feasting, but it is also going and telling. Look look at verse uh, 60. And and we'll finish out this passage. This is what it says. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Eat my flesh, drink my blood. Who can hear these things? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not uh, believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who, those who, who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, this is one of the saddest verses in the Bible. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. But listen to verse 67. And 68, Jesus, when he sees many turning away, Jesus looks at the 12 and he says to them, do you want to go away as well? Peter, the spokesperson for uh, the disciples, answers and says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus says, I'm not going anywhere. I am following you to the finish. And not only am I going to follow you, but because I know that you are the Son of God, because I know that you're the Holy One of God, because I know that you're the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world on the cross, I'm going to follow you and I am going to feast on you. And then I'm going to come and invite others to join me at the table where I can feast on you. This is our privilege This is our privilege as followers of Christ. We come and feast, and then we go and we tell. And we go and tell because we know who Jesus is, and we love him so much that we're just filled with that love that we want to share it with other people. That's where it always begins, all right? So so just like just kind of back to that, like Regina's Legals and Istanbul and all that, right? Like evangelism... All right, that means just like telling the story of Jesus, all right? It's a simple way to put it, like just sharing the story of Jesus, what he's done in your life and what you see in the scriptures. You, you know what it's like? It's like, it's just like yelping about the gospel. You, you get on Yelp and you review and you, you, you know, Pinterest and all that and the recipes and I'm going to share that, all right? It's just saying, you know what? I've come to experience, man, this is good and, and I want to share it with someone else. That's, that's all it is. And I, I know that in our culture it takes a measure of courage to kind of step out and say, you know what, I'm going I'm to talk about Jesus with my neighbors, with my friends, with, in my workplace, and, and it can be hard. But, but let me just kind of paint an alternative picture, all right? We're all about, listen to me, okay, we're all about being bold. We should be bold at times and just speak right up, you know, for Christ and to share that story. All right, but we're also about relational evangelism. And what, what that means is just like, We should build relationships with our friends. We shouldn't just like smack people upside the head with the Bible. But how authentic, how authentic are our relationships if we hide the very most important thing about us? Not very authentic at all, I would say. So so we just, we just kind of say to our friends, our neighbors, our crew, like, look, you know, I can't make you believe this, but I would love to share the story of what, what God has done in my life and, and perhaps it'll resonate with you that Jesus is the bread of life. You say, Tanner, help me, help me do this, right? Just a few encouragements, right? I'm gonna wrap up. Um, pray, just, can we just start with prayer? Prayer for ourselves, prayer, prayer for our friends. Praying that, 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 that we would, draw closer to Christ and he would change us and, and then prioritize just like I know we're all busy and we all have a lot of things going on but but could we take our calendars and just look at what we're already doing and then infuse mission into what we're already doing with our lives I mean we all go to work why don't we just like grab lunch with a coworker, out of concern for their souls and not just the bottom line of what we're trying to achieve at work we're already going to parks and, and games and, and, and museums. What, like, here's a great statement. I was hanging out with church planters at the beginning of this week, people who start churches like what we've done here. And, and, and so this one guy in Chicago, he said this. He said, this is our philosophy. Do what you do, do it with others. Do what others do and do it with them. You see that? So stinking simple, Right? Do what you do. If you like to work out, go work out, but just bring someone with you. If you like to watch the Celtics, go, go watch the Celtics, but bring someone with you. Do it with others. But, but if, if other people love art or love music, then go with them to the museum or a concert. Simple as that. Just living our lives with intentionality, that's how we're going to build. Pray, prioritize, and, and then uh, finally listen and share. Listen and share. So, so, so listen, we have to hear where people are, all right? We're not trying to drop like these kind of gospel bombs on people, all right? But we want to, because we really care about people and we really love people, we want to hear their story, hear what's going on in their life, and say, okay, like, I hear your story, and I, I also care about your story. Thank you, Jesus, I'm being like you. Um, then I just want to try to help connect your story with this greater story that God is writing in the world and how it could fit into to God's story. That's what it is. Steve Timmis, pastor in England, he says that, that evangelism is singing a better story. It's singing a better story and inviting other people into God's story. And so real quick, to wrap up, and then we're going to sing. Uh, we want to, to see God, through our collective giving, we want to see God give 360000 to his mission uh, through us this year as a church. So, so one of the things I've done, this is really cool, right? Uh, Marsha and I, we set up weekly push pay through, through online giving. And so I've already actually, check this out, I've already met my goal. That's this, this one action that I took, and that you can only do that once, and then it's just a set. So I've actually already met one of my goals this year. Thank you very much, push pay. Thank you. All right? Um, but, but then this other one, and this is, this is the, the, probably the one that's closest to my heart. We want to celebrate 35 people becoming new followers of Jesus this year. And some of you are like, man, that's crazy. Some of you are like, man, that's not enough. All right, It doesn't matter what really we, we think. What matters is we're coming and feasting and going and telling, right? But, but what if I told you this? Throughout the course of a year, we'll have over 300 first-time guests come on a Sunday. We have it every year. For the past four years, we've had that number. And so is it not reasonable to say many of these friends aren't yet believing that Jesus is the bread of life, so we would want to see just 10% of them. And even, even if not 10% of them, by the time we're sharing our faith at our work in our, in our neighborhoods, why not 35? Let's pray for that. Let's work for that. Let's believe that God is able to do that. So maybe you would just say, I'll grab, I'll grab a Bible and give it to a friend. Maybe some of you would say, you know what, each week or each month I want to share my, my faith with, with so many people. Maybe somebody just take that simple step and say, you know what? I'll start to grab a grab a lunch with a coworker, once a month, just once a month, and that would be a huge step for you, right? Here's what I want to say: there is no such thing as an insignificant step in the mission of God. If, if a step for you is taking an invite card, and you're not like you know like carrying it, like your cell phone and you got them you're additional amount all the time, maybe you say, you know what? I'm going to invite two people this this entire year. If that's a step for you, then we're going to applaud that step. We're going to celebrate that step. When you, when you invite a friend, we're going to chest bump. We're going to shoulder bump. We're going to high five. You know what I'm saying? Because we're going to celebrate each step along the way. And so what I want to do is this. Is, as we consider coming and feasting so that we can bring others to the table, I want to lead us in a time of prayer. And as we pray, I want you to take this, this 2020 vision, a handout, and these goals. And, and I hope that you'll just write down a, a goal or two or three. And then I'm going to invite Kevin and and crew to come back up and lead us in two songs of response. And and what we're going to do is this. The mushers are going to come forward, and they're going to have little pieces of tape. And just symbolically, because the only way that we participate with Christ is through his cross, we're going to tape these commitments to this cross. Just as a way of symbolically saying, we're in this together and then the, the pastors are going to take these. We hope you'll put your name on it so that we can pray for you to say, what, if you want to invite three people to church this year, we're going to pray for you in that. If you want to, you know, jump into a group and check it out, we're going to pray that, because we know it's hard to take steps we've never taken before. And so if you would do that as we sing, it's going to be an awesome moment to say, what, you know what, God, we can't do this apart from your grace. I can't share. I want to share my faith at least two times every week you know, say, well, you're a pastor. Of course you should be doing that. Well, guess what? There are a lot of weeks I don't, and I need your prayers for that, and you're going to need my prayers for what you want to see God do. So let's pray, and let's sing, and let's respond, and let's ask God to do a great work in our lives this year, 2016, every day so that 2020 looks different and 2050 looks different and, and our entire lives look different because of who Christ is. Father, we are so grateful that you would draw us to Christ. God, I pray for for friends who may be considering who Jesus is, if he's really the one that can satisfy in a way that they've never been satisfied before and and have a delight that they've never known. Lord, I pray that you would just just draw them and show them that, that Jesus is better and Jesus is enough. And God, for all of us, Lord, we want to come and feast that we might go and tell and bring others into the same joy and celebration that we know because of Jesus. So Lord, in this time, as we, you know, put some pieces of paper up on some wood, Lord, there's nothing uh, mystical about it, but there is something awesome about saying, God, our lives are in our hand, or your hands, and our church is in your hands, and we really want to come together so that you might be more famous in this city and across the world. So God, would you move us as we sing, as we respond.